1: Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto, and if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us.
0: And just one final heads up before we get into the show, this podcast contains general financial information only. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. This episode originally aired with Drew Meredith, the financial planner you may know, and myself over on the Australian Investors Podcast in January 2023. So this is a slightly more intermediate-style episode where Drew and I will take you through the five things you need to know about economics, that topic that includes inflation and the government budgets and all these types of things. We think this is a really good primer episode for anyone that wants to learn more about this, and it sets the scene for a few episodes we've got coming up on the Australian Finance Podcast. If you want to subscribe to the Australian Investors Podcast, you can do that with the link in your show notes. That is our slightly more intermediate to advanced style podcast uh, that you can tune into every week as well. If you want to know more about economics or you want to request some topics just like this one, write into us. You'll find a link in the show notes to ask a question or send us your feedback. Without further ado, here's Drew and I cross posted from the Australian Investors Podcast delivered here to you on the Australian Finance Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Drew Meredith, how are you going? Pretty good. It's good to be back. Yeah, we're talking economics and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about economics or thereabouts, give or take 50%. Um,
2: Just letting you know I fell asleep in this part of my university degree.
0: <laughs> you know the only university unit that I failed was uh, finance and accounting?
2: <laughs> well, the only one that I failed was advanced Microeconomics.
0: Advanced microeconomics. Didn't even know there was an advanced version. So we're gonna to talk to you about economics, kind of what you need to know if you're an individual investor or if you're trying to construct a portfolio. We're not gonna cover everything because the world of economics is obviously a big thing. If you like the show and you want us to do a bit of a deep dive into macroeconomics or microeconomics or some other thing, let us know. Um, we also have resources. So if you wanna extend your knowledge um, we did struggle a little bit to get the the best resources on economics to give you that foundation, but there is a bunch of stuff there, including a video, how the economic machine or system works. It's a fantastic free video on YouTube, which will tell you a lot about credit and those types of things.
2: And I always end up on Investopedia somehow, just oh, for yeah. basic concepts.
0: You know, that the owner of Investopedia is the same owner that owns bodybuilding.com. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did not
0: know that. <laughs> yeah. another one of those use, useless bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And- <laughs> Useless fact number, 18,600. <laughs> no, never take one on in trivia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um I think it's a company called ISE. Uh, anyway, so we're talking about economics. This isn't our usual episode. Normally, Drew and I would be talking um, every Saturday, answering your questions. If you are new to the show, head to the RASC websites, and in the menu, you'll find a button that says, ask a question, and select the Australian Investors Podcast don't forget to subscribe and leave us a kind review while you're at it. So, Drew, economics sounds interesting. had yep. um, a home economics at school, which <laughs> sounds very different. That was more useful than <laughs> traditional economics, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. But there are kind of, if you get these key things right, I think you can embrace economics with Conviction. A lot of people at first think it's pretty scary.
2: It gives you a a basic understanding of how the world and the economy and business
0: and these sort of things work. How governments work at the end of the day, because they're all economically driven, right?
2: Definitely. But the the challenge is so much of it relies on assumptions of certain facts that not everything always holds. Which is, it's why. You see macro forecasts, macroeconomic forecasters, and economic forecasters coming out every day and predicting interest rates to go up, or what the GDP or retail sales result will be, and ninety-eight percent of the time they're wrong.
0: Yep. So when we talk about uh, macroeconomics, what we mean is like the economics of like a government or a country or say the European Union. We're talking about like the big picture macro. When we talk about you know at the the individual level, we talk about microeconomics. We talk about uh, supply and demand curves and those types of things. They're two distinct fields of economics, uh, and you can read more about them online. But when we say macro, it's shorthand for macroeconomics, meaning the big picture. Yep. Micro, meaning you know getting into the details around supply and demand. Speaking of. Um, Commodities is probably a good way to explain. I'm just throwing it on the spot here. Definitely. Um, It's probably a good way to explain supply and demand. So, maybe if we say Fortescue does iron ore. Yep. um, Fortescue- (laughs) This will be a challenging one. Digs digs stuff out of the ground. Yep. So, that's the supply. Yep. Now, if it goes into the market where there's extra supply, the cost of their um, iron ore goes down because they can't sell it for the price because everyone's got iron ore in the market. Yep. And then it finds- a. Floor at a price where the demand for the iron ore meets the overwhelmed supply,
2: and a significant portion of the demand for iron ore, for instance, it's important to know where demand comes from. Is yep. like fifty-two percent comes from China, yeah, as well. But essentially, every market, to some extent, the price of an asset is driven by supply, dem- and supply demand. and demand. And when people say free market, that's that's what they they're saying that demand yep. and supply and those factors, call it animal spirits or whatever you want to, is what is determining the price. But then. There's a lot of potential inputs on that. So some countries will subsidize some sectors, which will impact the price that they're able to yeah. put on a global market or demand will be stimulated by you know, rebates or something for certain. Yep. So, but, but broadly, demand and supply determines price.
0: Well, we just did an episode on uh, property yep. uh, where we talked about kind of what you need to know about property investing. If you and I are both competing for the same property, and it's very unique as we talked about in that episode, we're both going to bid up the price until one of us gives up. So, that's where there's supply of one and there's two buyers. So, there's an imbalance if we're both competing up. So, push the price up. But conversely, if there were two sellers selling the identical property and there was only one of us, we could negotiate them down because there's oversupply. Uh, And that happens all the time. And it's actually one of the reasons why we tend to be mindful when we look at the results of uh, mining companies, so iron ore or uh, gold companies, anything that produces a commodity or something, by the way, commodity sounds- Price-taking. Yeah, it's, exactly. They're price-taking. So they're selling something which is commoditized, meaning it's the same across everything. Yeah. They've got no control over what the price of that is. Because if you get, if Drew's selling iron ore to you and I'm selling iron ore, you just pick the iron ore which is the cheapest because there's no difference between the two. Yeah. But if we're both selling different versions of baked beans, maybe Drew's SPC, I'm Heinz, um, you would pick the one that has some brand differentiation or taste or whatever. So there's, yeah. they're not commodities, even though they kind of are. In Warren Buffett's language, they kind of are. Like, I mean,
2: even in that case, it's like ten cents difference for. <laughs> <laughs> but like but, Nike versus, I don't want to say uh, an uh, alternative yeah. Dunlop. Dunlop. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's. That's where brand plays a role. New in, Balance. In Someone's price.
0: wearing New yeah. Balance right now. Look down yeah. their feet. Like, oh! <laughs> but New Balance apologises. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not a podcast. we left. We annoy someone, is it? So, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so that is based like the, the, the principle of economics is based on this this thing called supply and demand, and you can learn more about that online. But basically. One of the things that Warren Buffett looks for, just as an interesting investing uh, tip, is that he looks for companies that take a commodity, something that is readily available, and turns it into something that is not a commodity. So in the case of Heinz, like baked beans, he takes beans, which could be from anywhere, and he turns it into a a branded thing, Heinz baked beans, which you can only get one of. So you can charge more for it. And that's a really interesting thing. It's basically taking advantage of the supply and demand imbalance. Um, so, another thing, Drew, which we talked about a lot in 2022, inflation everywhere. Yeah. What is it?
2: Well, the real definition of inflation is a general increase in prices mm-hmm. and not just in a single year. So, it's it's usually a general and sustained increase in prices. Because oh. do you – and I mean, you can – there's probably multiple definitions of inflation that you can find. Yeah. But inflation going up in one year and falling in the next is – essentially irrelevant. Yes, it hurts for that period, but if it falls and it goes back the same, it's where prices are consistently increasing, say, 3% every year. That's what real defined inflation is, yep. has generally been. And So it's the price of what you're buying increasing year after year after year.
0: And we have to talk about that like core inflation, right? Like the the, the the inflation that is more sticky, so not just fuel prices bouncing up from one month to the next. Exactly,
2: and it, it, it is so confusing. So fuel prices and understanding where fuel prices come so fuel price is important but what's the how much the impact does the cost of oil have on say the packaging yep. that is plastic that determines the price that food's being charged at the other end as well so there's all it's so complex and there's so many inputs that a lot of it you can't you can't uh, draw out yep. and then like all economic data it's a, a, none of it's perfect you know some like, un- unemployment figures are phone calls <laughs> and asking people they've asked if they've applied for a job there's some inflation data smooth, like property the cost of dwellings in the US is smoothed over quarters so it doesn't go up and down which means it, it ends at the moment it's going higher than it actually is well takes longer to fall um, but essentially and how people people explain it is it, the value of your dollar you can buy less from with your dollar that you have today next year yep so when if prices are up 8% then the apple that costs a dollar this year will be a dollar eight.
0: you You'll need an extra $0.08 cents to buy it next year. And so there are multiple types of inflation too, right? There's like wage inflation, which is the general increase in wages. And that's the thing that a lot of people get concerned about because if wages keep going up, people keep spending more. And you, it's typically harder to go back from a wage increase, yep. um, which is this thing that you're referring to. is like the persistent increasing cost. And governments target, or not governments, but central banks target uh, inflation of 2 to 3% mostly because they want things to steadily increase over time, right?
2: Yeah, I think the and the reason the on the flip side, deflation is when the when the price of goods is falling over time and that's happened in in sorry, Japan for an extended period of time. And the reason that's a bad thing is if you know your washing machine will be cheaper 5 years from now or 2 years from now, why would you buy it? Yeah. So it makes people delay consumption. Consumption because they, don't, they think they'll get it cheaper in the future and that's incredibly bad for the economy incredibly bad spirals for jobs it, right? exactly so you don't want a deflation that's why everyone wants inflation it, it it forces people or it makes people incentivized to keep spending uh, or keep just living normally mm. rather than delaying consumption so th- this idea of animal spirits where you want to be and that's why governments cut interest rates and did quantitative easing during uh, the COVID sell off was just to make sure people kept spending and had confidence to keep spending because without that jobs start to get lost economy starts slow tax revenue starts to reduce all these yeah kind of things you just
0: think about it if you knew that a washing machine was going to be cheaper in 12 months you'd probably hold off but then if you knew it was going to be cheaper the 12 months after that you'd probably hold off again exactly until eventually no one's spending any money and the thing just (laughs) falls into a spiral
2: that's what happened in japan a lot of property outside of tokyo has gone nowhere for like 10 or 20 years yeah, right. It's a broad generalisation. So. Yeah, yeah,
0: probably uh, is markets within markets. Um, but uh, yeah, it I, I guess that's that's the kind of definition of inflation. We pay a lot of attention to that because, here's the thing, is that inflation, in fact, the one thing that we're about to talk about, which is monetary policy. Yep. Because depending on where inflation goes, there's a reason that we try and control this. Um, by the way, who controls this? The central bank. So the central bank in most countries is separate from the government. Everyone. Okay, drew's to me a bit of a technically. <laughs> so, so, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, let's not go there. But um, so that's so, the next topic after that. <laughs> yeah, uh, where government <laughs> interferes with uh, central banks. So, uh, so there's there's meant to be a separation of the power here between the governments, which can often think short term yep. and think in terms of like political uh, strength, and the 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 the, the organisation which is designed to keep the financial system stable. In Australia, that's known as the RBA. In the United States, that's known, known as the Fed. You've got the BOE, which is the Bank of England, and you've got a bunch of others around the world that control what we call monetary policy. And if you just remember nothing else, if you're about to switch off, monetary policy just means basically interest rates. Yep. Um, now, fiscal policy is what the government's trying to do. They try and tailor the budget and all that sort of stuff.
2: And stability of the financial system. Yep. They say that monetary or central banks have two objectives, one's- Depending on the um, country, full employment or helping the the economy get to full employment, yep. and then keeping prices within to increase between two to three percent.
0: Yep, and at the end of the day, you kind of want that separation because you don't want governments making political decisions. <laughs> I think in a very short period of time, you disagree.
2: Uh, I think the concept that they have completely separated yeah. has been broken multiple times, and and we know the you fact broken that, in the US that's for sure. Yeah, and we know that the central bank's role is you know the if if this is going to modern monetary theory which will touch shortly Ooh. it's not a theory um it's the fact that if the government needs to raise money via the issuance of bonds the uh, the central bank will always buy it if it needs to it yep. will never let the government go default or be bankrupt yep that's where you say it's independent but not yeah, really
0: true well, let's scale into that in just a moment but um so <laughs> The reason, so if inflation goes too high, we pull on a handbrake. There's a ha- just think of a massive handbrake on the economy called interest rates. If you increase interest rates, people are more inclined to save their money in the bank and not spend it. That will put pressure on inflation, brings it back down. Conversely, if inflation is too low, they'll drop interest rates to push up. Inflation because people they'll encourage people to spend and not save the money.
2: That's very focused on demand, though. So, an incredibly blunt tool, and we've seen that in the last few years. You cut it too much and you stimulate demand too much. You cut it, you push it too hard, and you know, mortgage repayments going up three times. It can only touch the demand side, though. So, essentially, what central banks are trying to do is kill demand to reduce prices by having less, not and they clearly can't do anything about the supply side.
0: Yeah, and this is where the, the, the government has to step in with fiscal policy around what are they incentivizing, what are they not incentivizing in the economy. So are they incentivizing things like um, production of local oil and gas? You know, if, you, if, if oil is such a big problem for us importing it, um, yet we produce so much of it, um, could, can the government make changes to control the flow of gas and oil in our economy to make sure that the inflation doesn't spike? Yeah. you know because that if if there's no oil of, of course fuel at the bows is going to go up
2: and that's what they're doing no matter
0: interest rates can change that
2: so yeah. it's fiscal policy and the government should be working on the supply side or the private market should be working on the supply side as much as possible yeah. which so is prices doesn't always happen. they say the old saying you go back to commodities the old saying is higher prices are the cure for higher prices yeah because if prices are higher people are more you know marginal mining uh, sites are, are now potentially profitable so more supply comes on, eventually the price comes down. You've seen it time and time again. We just tend to extrapolate like we do other things, like annualized mm-hmm. Annualized returns. property promises. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. We extrapolate short-term into the long-term.
0: Yeah. So, when we talk about unit economics, just as an aside, we talk about unit economics for companies that we are researching to invest in. What we mean is, just in case you've come across this term, unit economics, what it means is like, for each individual widget that you sell in a company, what is your return versus your cost of that unit? So um, unit economics, it's often called like marginal rates. So marginal return or things like that, like it's the extra little unit that you sell or buy and what it costs you. So software companies have really good unit economics because they can sell one new piece of software, whether it's a license for their subscription and it costs them nothing because they deliver that subscription digitally via the internet. Uh, but they recruit more prices and they can increase prices and then they also have really good unit economics. But getting back to macroeconomics, Drew, fiscal policy is one that's, um, like you said, has been challenging monetary policy or they kind of are joined at the hip no matter what we do. I'm going to ask you, we've only got a couple minutes left, I'm going to ask you about this thing called MMT or Modern modern Monetary Theory. What does it mean? Like, what does that mean? Because that's something that gets bandied around a lot. So uh, the most basic,
2: Concept of modern monetary theory is essentially a uh, an explanation of how the economy actually works. Yep. So the what it and and the goal of modern monetary theory it's not <clears throat> you know, everyone refers to printing as much money as you want. Inflation doesn't matter. That's all yep. BS. They don't they don't say inflation doesn't matter. <laughs> the entire premise of of this is that the government should be doing everything it can to ensure full employment. Yep. they they say, uh, and I've gone across the political spectrum at different times. Uh, I would admit to that. But essentially, why no one should be unemployed unless they, you know, they have they're unskilled or they yeah. they actually can't work. If anyone who wants a job she better get a job. That's the premise of modern monetary theory. And, and how that flows through the economy, which says either the government should be the employer of last resort, or help 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 do that, which is happening in a lot of the Nordic countries at the moment. Um, and then it just explains the basics of how governments and central banks work together. It's yep. this, this idea, like <clears throat> they refer to Thatcher a lot back in yeah, the UK, Thatcher, yep. that compared a uh, household budget to a government budget. You know, you have to have more income than you have expenses, again, BS. If you issue your own currency and you can issue your own bonds. Unlimited. Yeah. Anyone's going to buy those bonds. Uh, And if they don't, the central bank is required in the U.S., particularly in those countries that issue around the country, the central bank is always going to step in and and buy those bonds and grow their own balance sheet. You saw it in the U.K. after they had their massive crisis. Even though the (laughs) central bank was cutting their bond purchases and increasing interest rates, they stepped back in to buy Bond, UK just bonds.
0: To save the pension system and exactly. keep everyone in jobs it's,
2: it's the buyer of last resort um, of yep. bonds. And that's this this idea. And it really matters. It, it becomes an issue if you issue debt in someone else's currency and you, you can't implement it that way. But countries that issue their own currency. Um, it can be implemented It just says fiscal policy should be used to essentially uh, what's it, smooth the economic cycle, remove the depressions and the yep. massive booms.
0: No one really likes the depressions that go on for years. Recession, by the way, in technical terms, just means two quarters or six months of the economy going backwards, which in most people's minds is not what they think of. No. Most people come across it like, oh, is that all it is? But it's the depressions that you're thinking of when you think of recession. That's yep. probably the picture. Real that unemployment. Yeah, That's real, like 20% unemployment, that type of stuff, which is crazy. Um, Was that a good enough explanation? I like that, yeah. I would just say, if you just look at what, like uh, the biggest concern is like, oh, the central <laughs> banks have so much debt. Um, and you're like, yes, of course. Like, of course they would, um, because they support the financial system. And at the end of the day, um, what we've seen for the past 30 years, I think it would be hard to argue, at least in a Western society that has democracy, um, that it's been a bad thing. Well, there's there was like, a problem in the,
2: in the 19, I think it was in the 90s or the 80s, where we'd run so many budget surpluses uh, that there was no bond market left. <laughs> yeah, right. And, go, and banks have to buy government but like there's only a certain amount of triple rated bonds a lot of groups have to hold on to bonds yeah um, and that kind of refers the other part I know we don't have much time left is that if a deficit by the government is a surplus to the private sector so that means more money is going towards jobs and businesses yeah and a and a surplus to the government means they're pulling money out of the yeah. broader economy they're making a profit yeah so essentially if you've got a surplus you're helping just the government will be slowing the economy and a deficit, they're trying to support it.
0: Yeah. So, what you're saying there is a the government runs at a profit, uh, which is called a surplus or a loss, which is called a deficit. Yeah. And a lot of, like, this is where you get a lot of political argy-bargy, where they're like, so irresponsible, government runs at deficit. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, it's not that, not the same. That's not how it works. Like, you're not making a loss. Like, you maybe yeah. are in the government test, but it's not like an individual making a loss. You don't have to. Issue bonds before you can pay the bills. You
2: just pay the bills.
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You have the currency. So, um, so there are some other things which we'll just tack on the end of the episode here, which you should know. Most forecasts are wrong. Uh, <laughs> so that's a quick one. Um, that so, was my point. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And exchange rates are incredibly important to understand yeah. too. So uh, the two key inputs to exchange rates: are interest rate differential yep. between, say, the US and Australia. If their interest rates are higher, more people are likely to go and buy US, US dollars. Dollar. Yeah. And then inflation rates as well because obviously inflation rates are in intertwined with interest rates yeah. for better or worse
0: so basically what you're saying is inflation goes up too high the central bank will increase rates your dollar which, will be worth more then your dollar will be worth more because everyone will know hey looks like australia's interest rates are going to go up yeah i'll go and invest in that country and then the dollar goes up because the dollars are in demand and supply and demand kicks in And this is how global capital flows and that's why we see the fluctuations in currencies because yeah. you compare two currencies, you're basically comparing two economies. So that's a, we actually covered a lot pretty quick. Excellent. That was really good. Surprising, I was really worried about I it. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys. Well, and you, once like- you get me on, <laughs> on MMT,
2: for I could have gone for 25 minutes. So.
0: But we like we're not going to cover everything. But we did a pretty good job. So just to confirm, we covered supply and demand, and you can remember the commodities example. Just think about the property price example as well. Inflation is a the persistent increase in in prices. Monetary policy is controlled by central banks, and it's interest rates basically. And full employment, as Drew mentioned, fiscal policy is what the government does, and it's not always aligned with monetary policy, but it should. B for the most part um exchange rates you know m- what did you say the two two things that matter inflation and interest rates inflation and interest rates and I was tongue in cheek but I was kind of correct that forecasts are often wrong so all the time yeah it's art and science yep same as investing yep so when you see a big fantastic looking chart and whatever just be skeptical Drew and I see thousands of them every year. Um, and I don't think I've ever relied on one of those to make an informed decision. Only my predictions. Only Drew's predictions, which normally get, a, I think it's the blue button there, Drew. I think we can press that. <laughs> so if you want more of that, if you want more Drew's predictions, stick around on the Australian Investors Podcast. But mate, I've got some resources in there for people too. If people want to get in contact with you, where do they go?
2: Straight to their website, wattlepartners.com.au slash contact.
0: wattlepartners.com.au slash contact for financial planning. Um, well, Drew, thanks for joining me. Good to be here.
1: I am
0: so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast, and here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The Portfolio Manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rast Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV offer. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that RASC could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies, which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you, primarily through low cost diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy and a high growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income, and the high growth strategy focuses on longer term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 Rask community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one, insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple, and you just want to protect, what would happen if? You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax? I think you are because I think you have to. So we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All RASC users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nivexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools, which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the, probably I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor An intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworths shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad. If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support RASC and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the RASC network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.